bring greetings this morning in the name of Jesus and greet you, uh, yeah, in his holy name. In, uh, back in Dece uh, November, just before Thanksgiving, I had a message on worshiping the Lord of glory, and I don't know, do y'all remember anything about that message? At least the title, maybe? Uh, and I didn't get done. So I thought this morning that I would like to finish that uh, message. Probably not that it's done in its entirety, but um, it's what I felt led on my heart. Uh, maybe just some recaps of, if we go back and look at that message and uh, some truths that were tried to be expounded. Uh, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To worship the Lord of glory, we need truth. We must have truth. God is, Jesus Christ is truth. Truth himself. Truth, uh, um, what's the word? Not impersonated. Uh, personified. Uh, huh? I'm sorry? Personified. Yeah, thank you. That's the word I wanted. So truth must be part of our worship experience or our worship will become an ideology based on our own perceptions and culture. That's what happens when we do not have truth in our worship with a result of everyone doing what's right in their own eyes and nobody living righteously. Another truth was that true worship of, God, of the Lord of glory will always show us our sinful condition, bring about a confession of sin and a cry for cleansing. There will also be a willingness to obey the directives and commandments of the Lord, however hard it may be. Then when we open ourselves to untruth, worship self, or believe anything that is false, it brings about an acceptance of more untruth. Remember, Satan is a liar, the father of lies. When we accept anything that is not true, we open ourselves to more untruth because we have allowed Satan a place in our heart. Untruth will begin to reveal itself in so many ways, but one of the first ways is the word of God will make no difference in my life. It doesn't apply to me today. Another one is uh, God is a God of love and he wants us to be happy. So we can do what brings us happiness. Not sure where we find that in scripture, but uh, remember this, we cannot have a lie from the heart of Satan and continue to worship the Lord of glory in its purest form. Now, turn to Revelation chapter five I would like to um, 
bring to our mind a scene of worship in heaven. If we go back to uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 3. This is talking about the throne of God. This is talking about the... the um, the scene where God was the center part. Verse 3 says, He that sat, he that sat was to look upon as of, like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, the sight likened to an emerald. Now, I don't know what all these stones look like. But it must have been a, a, a very colorful, uh, glorious sight. Now, verse 4, round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, going down to chapter 5. Uh, why don't we stand to read this chapter? Chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to look upon the book to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. When he had taken the book, the four beasts, and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast proclaimed us to God by the blood, excuse me, hath redeemed us to, to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations and hath made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power riches wisdom strength honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that 
are in them heard I sing blessing and honor and glory, power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. You may be seated. Now this scene in heaven, this worship scene, the worship of the Lord of the eternal Lord was in its most holy, complete, and pure form. There was no distractions, no sin, no tempter, no unfamiliar songs, or notes that were sung wrong, no off-key voices, no wandering thoughts. Everything was pure, holy, and in complete harmony. And best of all, the Lord of glory in his physical form was there. Praising him for our great salvation, redemption, and grace. Uh, now, if we go over to chapter 7, there's another scene, and it's very similar. But it gives us a little bit more detail. Uh, we'll start reading in uh, verse, chapter 7, verse 9. And after this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, people, tongues, stood before the throne and before the, the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, about the four beasts, excuse me, the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence come they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, and then he answered his own question, These are they which came out of great tribulation and washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night. In his temple he that sitteth on his throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, thirst, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So here was, a, uh, here was a, a group of people uh, in chapter 5 it would tell us that I um, have to lay my eyes on it to get it right um, talking about the number of the verse 11 
I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands upon thousands. So here was a group of angels that was beyond number almost. It says it was, uh, he didn't know how many were there. It was uh, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And they were saying, worthy is the lamb. Now going over to verse seven, I mean chapter seven, it tells us that um, verse nine, and I beheld in lo a great multitude which no man could number, of all the nations and kindreds and people and languages or tongues stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And these crowd uh, cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation unto our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, about the elders, and fell before, their throne, before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. Can you imagine the number of people the number of beings that were in this scene. And the beauty of this worship song, this worship uh, praise and glory to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. To be there, to be in that number, our worship has to start today. We cannot expect to not worship the Lord of glory here in this life and die and go to heaven to worship him there. It won't work. We will not, if we don't worship the Lord of glory here, we will not worship him there. We won't get there. So true worship needs to begin today, in our life today. What does it mean to worship the Lord of glory? Excuse me. I was going to draw a little bit something on the board. Um. Uh, Describing the throne of God and uh, the four and twenty elders, how they, and th this is just my ideas, but if we do this as a, as a throne of God, and, uh, yeah, I don't know how this, were the chairs this way, or were they this way, I, I don't know how it was. were sitting on here. It says they were sitting before the throne of God. Now I want you to keep this in mind at, towards the end of the message. 
But it says that they fell down and worshiped the Lord of glory as they were, um, as they were, as this lamb came out of the, out of the, it looked like almost that came out of the throne. But these, these, these elders and beasts fell down and worshiped him. All right, let's look at what brings, uh, what, is, what is some attributes of true worship today? Turn to Ezra chapter 9. We're going to read uh, 1 through 5. Ezra chapter 9, 1 through 5. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, and this is the message they brought, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated them from the people of the land, doing according to their abominations even unto the Canaanites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those land, these lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. When I heard this thing, I rent my garments, my mantle, plucked off the hair of my head, of my beard, and sat down astonied. Then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled at the words of the Lord of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away, and I sat astonied until the end of the, the evening sacrifice. What is a... What is a uh, attribute of true worship here? Anyone? I'm sorry? Okay, obedience, that's not what I wanted, but that would include, there's another phrase. Trembling at the word of the Lord. When was the last time that you and I trembled at the word of the Lord? When was the last time that we read something in the scripture and we just sat there. Lord, I can't believe I didn't see that. When was the last time that it ripped your heart to the point that that nothing else mattered anymore? Except living and doing the will of the Father, living in obedience. <laughs> you know, when people came and told Ezra what was happening here, they were taking uh, these, these uh, in fact, the priests, the leaders, were kind of chief in this matter it says they were taking of the local people the local 
uh, yeah, people, for wives, for their sons and daughters, for the uh, wives and husbands. And uh, it was strictly forbidden by the Lord God. You, don't, you cannot do that and remain pure. And Ezra was just dumbfounded. He just couldn't believe that this happened. He was astonished and stunned at the brazen, blatant disobedience of the people. And you know, there was other people in the community, in the church, if you want to call it that, that were sat there right there with him. They they just they just they were stunned into silence. And at the evening sacrifices, Ezra started to pray and confess the sins of the people unto God. In verse 6, it says that he was even ashamed to lift his face to God. Now remember, this is part of trembling at the word of God. Trembling in the presence of the Lord God. He was ashamed to lift his face. He acknowledged their sin, recognizing that it was much bigger than what they could handle. They, they, it's just said, uh, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities have increased over our head. Verse 7, he confessed the need, he, he confessed that the reason his people had been in bondage was because so that they would, because they wouldn't repent from, from their past sins, their iniquity. Uh, let's read uh, verse 7. Since the days of our father have we been in great tras uh, trespass unto this day, for, for our iniquities have we, our kings, our priests, been delivered into the hands of the kings of the land, to the sword, the captive, excuse me, to captivity and to spoil, to the confusion I'm sorry, I'm having a real issue with my eyes this morning. I can't, yeah, I don't know what's wrong. I might have to get some of those computer glasses. As it is this day. God, in verse 8, God had mercy. And now for a little space, grace hath been showed unto, from the Lord our God, to leave us a remnant to escape. In other words, he was saying, God, uh, I, I'm ashamed to blush, I'm, I blush to, to even come before you, to lift my face to you. Um, verse 7, it's the reason we came out of the land or went into captivity was because we refused to repent of our sins. Verse 8, he says, and now, for this little space, there was, a, there was a time in their life that they remembered captivity. They remembered where they were in, uh, yeah, in captivity to Babylon. And they, God brought them out of that and gave them the land of Judah, Jerusalem. And this was a short time. And now they're right back into sin. And he's just wondering, how, God, can you be merciful? It's because of your mercy that we're even here. 
Verse 9, for we were bondmen. We were kept in captivity. Yet our God had not forsaken us in bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the king of Persia to give us a reviving. It was the work of God in his life, in their lives, that brought them back. Verse 10 through 12. And now this. And now our God, what shall we say after this? After all your mercy, after all your grace is extended, for we have forsaken your commandments. Which thou hast commanded by thy servant, the prophets, saying, The land into which you go to possess it, it is an unclean land with filthiness of the people of the lands of their, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to the other. Now therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever that ye may be strong. And yet they did this. Verse 13. And after all this is come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespasses, seeing that thou, our God, hath punished us less than our iniquity is deserved and hath given us much deliverance as, as this, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of the abominations, of these abominations, wouldest not thou be angry with us till thou hast consumed us, so that there be, should be no remnant nor escaping? O Lord God of mercy, uh, of Israel, thou art righteous. For we, we, for we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespass, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. They took personal responsibility for their sins. They didn't pass it off as somebody else's problem. Now, Ezra was not involved in this sin. He didn't even know it was happening. And yet, he placed himself right in the middle of these people and said, we have sinned. He took personal responsibility for, for someone else's fault, really, or problem. In other words, he acknowledged it for what it was, sin. This is trembling at the word of God. It brings to us to our knees before God, the holy God. And it shows us our sinfulness. But you know, it doesn't stay there. Praise God. It, it, there's a response of true worship. You know, we can, uh, we can say that we tremble at the word of God. And, and we, yeah, daily we tremble at the word of God. And yet, if it doesn't go beyond that, what good does it do? There needs to be a response. Chapter 10. Now when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and causing, casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women, of children, 
for the people wept very sore. Now there was prayer and confession here in humility, a mourning for and sins committed. And this preceded or went before revival and forgiveness. You know, sometime between uh, verse 1a and 1b, there, a decree went out that we are going to have a members meeting. We're going to have a meeting. And they said it concerns this and this and this because the people came uh, and they knew what was happening. Somewhere I, I deduced that um, if it didn't tell us exactly that. But the people wept very sore. In verse 2, Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. There was an acknowledgement of wrong that was committed and a commitment to take corrective action accordingly. In other words, so they acknowledged that what they did was wrong. And they also said, we're going to take care of this problem according to the law, according to what God has given us direction. And friends, that is the way that, that is a positive response to worship, is to, is to acknowledge our wrong and then take corrective action. We cannot just acknowledge our wrong and let it there. It won't help us anything. Verse 4. Arise, for this matter belongeth to thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. You know, encouragement given by the co-leaders to Ezra the leader to take his responsibility and lead out in this matter. Remember, again, Ezra was not involved in this sin. Remember that. But he was their leader, and it was in his responsibility to lead out in this, to give direction. I don't think it was very easy for Ezra to do this, and yet his and yet his response to the holiness of God, his, the result of trembling at the word, drove him to obedience. Five, then arose Ezra and made the chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel to swear that they would do according to their word, to this word, and they swear. And Ezra rose up from before the Lord for the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Elisha, Eliashib. And when he came thither, he eat, did eat no bread nor, nor drink water, for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. Ezra rose up to the challenge, took his responsibility to give direction, 
to proclaim the truth to the people. He was also an example in fasting and prayer, and he mourned. You know, one thing, again, that I noticed, that even though Ezra was not involved, in fact, he had no idea this was happening until someone told him. He put himself right there with his people. There wasn't a lot of excuses given in shifting a blame or the them versus me attitude. He was right there with his people. Let's read on to verse 13. They made a proclamation through Judah, Jerusalem, unto all the children of captivity, that they should gather themselves together into Jerusalem, that whosoever would not come within three days according to the counsel of the princes and the elders, all his substance would be forfeited, and he himself separated from the congregation of those that had been carried away. So there was a proclamation given that uh, you need to be here in three days, according to all the counsel. This wasn't just Ezra's idea. It was according to the counsel of the princes and the elders. And if you are not here, there's consequences. All your substance will be forfeited. You would give up all your rights, and you would be separated. There's a, uh, in our day-to-day, in our, uh, -day, there would be a excommunication. Then all the men of uh, Judah, Benjamin, gathered themselves together to Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the tenth, twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling because of this matter. Now, if it would stop there, that would be enough. But read the next couple words. And for the great rain, would you be willing this morning as cold it is, as it is outside, to come to this meeting trembling because of the sin in your life, trembling because there is a way given for you to escape the transgression, but there would be no shelter for you to sit in. you had to be out in the great rain. I, I don't think this was just a gentle rain. This was a downpour. And these people were out there, standing there before God because of their sin. There was sincerity in this, in this response. Ezra the priest, priest stood up and said unto them, You have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore, make confession unto the Lord God your fathers, and do his pleasure. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. But the people are many, and it is a time of much rain. We're not able to stand without, neither is this work. Is this a work of one day or two? For we are many that have transgressed in this thing. There was obviously some work to be done here, and they were willing to do it. 
they said it's not something that's going to happen in a day or two. The, the remedy, remedy. But we are willing to do what you said. The response of true worship is a willingness to do what the Lord has said. Isaiah 66 verse 1 and 2 says, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you buildeth unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and a contrite spirit, and that trembleth at my word. Again, I ask the question, when was the last time that I trembled at the word of the Lord? When was the last time when I read or heard the word of the God? Or do I, when I hear and read the word of God, that I just kind of set it aside then? You know, at home, in my, beside my chair, I have an end table. I read my scriptures in the morning, and I close my book. I lay the Bible on, my, on the stand. Do I get up and completely forget what I just read? Does it make a difference in my life? Does it make a difference in yours? Now, some practical thoughts on public worship just to stimulate our minds. I certainly, certainly don't want to come across as critical or that I have all the answers. But I'd like to give these thoughts to stimulate our minds towards a more complete and holy worship publicly right here. Is my life a hindrance, my life, is my life a hindrance or an ins inspiration to my brother's worship experience? Does the, my life back up the words that I say? Or when people hear me saying something, they will immediately shut their ears and mine because of what I do. What I'm doing speaks so loudly they can't hear what I'm saying. So does my life, is my life an inspiration to you, brother, to you, sisters? When I speak publicly in testimony or confession, do I articulate my thoughts clearly? Do they understand what I'm trying to say? And I know sometimes it's very hard to put into words what we're feeling. I, I know that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when we speak on a regular basis, can I articulate, can I give my thoughts clearly so that you understand what I'm saying? Do I speak loud enough that others can hear what I'm saying? Or do I say it so quiet that they're not sure exactly what I said? When I give a testimony or a confession, this is to stimulate your mind, would it be appropriate to stand when you do that? Or do you just sit there and talk and, and the speaker up here is not sure where it's coming from? 
or the people down there are not sure who said what? Would it be appropriate if you would just stand to give your testimony? I'm not saying you have to. I'm asking you questions. I have made this a personal goal. It's not quite a conviction, I don't think. But it's close. It's a goal to stand so people can see who is talking. It is much easier to speak where you can understand if the person is standing, you know where the voice is coming from. To me, it also shows respect to others. Again, I'm not saying we have to. I'm just asking. Would it be appropriate, appropriate if people would stand to give their testimony or confession? In our Bible studies, in our Sunday school classes, public discussions, uh, could be even in the, in the uh, Wednesday evening small groups, in whenever we find ourselves in public uh, studies, do I make any contribution to the subject or discussion? Now, remember, we're talking public worship here. Or am I quiet and can't think of anything to say or to contribute? You know, I'm not saying we have to speak every time, every Sunday. I'm not saying that. Or that we have to dominate the, 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 the discussion. That's not good either. But if I never have anything to say, what is that saying about my life? Could it be, if I never have anything to say, could it be an indication that possibly I have a other interests or a life problem? Could it be saying that? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But, you know, I, I, I wonder sometimes when, when brethren, and I don't know about your sisters. I have no idea. I've never been in your classes. I don't know who speaks and who doesn't. But I, I, I know that there are people that don't talk in Sunday school. And I don't know why. But, you know, after church, it seems like you know, people can talk a blue streak and about all other things. I ask the question, why? What is wrong? I'm trying to stimulate your mind into worship. A brother that has passed on to his eternal reward told me one time that he likes to give at least one thought in the Sunday school class. One thought. Doesn't have to be much, it doesn't have to be long, but give one thought. It shows an interest and maybe helps uh, to be an example to others. You know, sometimes the thought that I give is, it seems like if I listened to the, to the responses, it seemed like the thought was completely wild and just very unnecessary. But at least there's an interest. 
There's a desire to get the discussion going. <clears throat> There's a desire to bless. You know, we should not be just as sponges, taking, taking, absorbing, absorbing. We, we have to have an outlet or we will die. We should also contribute and bless, give back to bless others. You know, when others speak, do I listen intently what is being said? Do I express an interest in the, uh, the subject by my posture? You know, when you're slouched in your chair and you're just kind of, that really gives a, a, a a uh, indication that you're really into the message, right? It doesn't really. So our posture makes a huge difference. Expression of face makes a huge difference. You know, again, if you, you know, that shows like you're really into it. It doesn't. You're 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 just you're just kind of almost just enduring it to get get over it. What about being alert? Do I soon fall asleep and wake up at the end of the message just in time to pray? And for those speaking, allow the scriptures to speak. In other words, use the scriptures to articulate your thought. Allow the word of God to speak to the issue at hand. The word of God is life and will carry much more weight than my words will ever carry. Again, I want you to understand, I'm not saying you have to just quote scripture and stop and let it go at that. No, but use scripture to make your point. Use scriptures liberally. Now here's another one that I would like to um, have some feedback sometime. Pray. What posture should we use? <clears throat> In scriptures, there are examples of people standing to pray. There are people, examples of people kneeling to pray. And there's also examples of people prostrating them before the, the Lord, which has the idea of kneeling on their knees with their forehead against the floor, spreading out their hands before God. That's kind of the idea. They fall down before the Lord. Interestingly enough, I haven't found, and I'm not saying there isn't, but I haven't found yet examples in Scripture where the people continued to sit to pray. Now, I know I've said something earlier, way earlier, about, you know, I, I, I don't think it's so appropriate. I'm going to leave that with you, but I, I'm going to stimulate your thought. Is it appropriate? When in the scriptures, it was always either standing, kneeling, or falling down before the Lord. Is sitting appropriate? 
I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just say, asking, is it appropriate? Now, just another thought to stimulate your mind. When we kneel, I don't know what you think. Um, do you think when we kneel that we get off of our seats, turn ourselves almost into a pretzel trying to get back into the seat and stick our noses right back with the backside towards the front? Would it be more fitting, more appropriate, when we kneel, that we just kneel straight forward. I was in a church one time years ago, uh, down in North Carolina, where that happened. And it was, uh, you know, the first time I saw it, I thought, well, why would you do that? But, you know, it, it, it makes sense. It's a lot less commotion. It, it, just, it, it just seems like, uh, you know, when you, when you, it would also seem more fitting to turn our faces towards the front of the church house rather than our backside. Again, we wouldn't need to turn ourselves completely inside out almost to try to get back down. You know, the older I get, the stiffer I am, and it's hard. And that's not why I'm th saying this. I'm just saying this is the way it is. Again, I have not found in scripture at all where the people, when they got off their seats, they turned their back to God to pray. I haven't found that. In Revelation chapter 4, again, let's go back to Revelation. <clears throat> It says, round about the throne were the four and twenty elders, uh, see, uh, seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, back to this thing. I don't know how this was. Was they in a, were they in a half circle, or were they, you know, were they all the way around? I, I don't know, because God is everywhere. But they were sitting on their seats. The Bible says they were sitting on their seats. Now let's look at um, I didn't write that. Didn't write the verse down. Verse 8 says, The four beasts had each of them six wings round about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts, yeah, verse 9, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him. And worship him. 
Now, I don't think the scripture is saying that they turned around in their seats and stuck their heads back into the seat and their backs to God. I don't think that's what the scripture is saying. I, I don't know what you're thinking of this. But I, I'm just saying, should we consider? In chapter 5, 6 through 9, the same thing happened. And in chapter 7, verse 11, the angels fell down to worship God. I would love to hear some feedback on this subject. Now, a couple more thoughts, and I need to close this. Uh, in our public worship service, do we see people crowding the back benches? And I ask if we do, why? I am not, again, not talking about mothers or dads with small children. I'm talking about people with no children. What do you have to do back there? Again, I don't want to be critical. I'm just asking. I'm trying to stimulate your thoughts and your minds. Why are you back there? Maybe there's health reasons. I don't know. But I, I'm going to ask you, do you think this scene in heaven, these people, these elders, these angels, these people from all nations, languages, and tongues were crowding the backside of the, of the throne, or were they trying to, Lord, do you think they were crowding the back? I don't think so. They were trying to worship God, and I don't know how it is in heaven. Uh, it, there was plenty, plenty of room. But they were not crowding the back of the church, the auditorium, the whatever they had, to get just because it was handy, just because they didn't want to walk up front. They didn't do that. They were there to worship the Lord of glory. When church is over, do you still continue your worship experience? What I mean by that is, are you able to talk about spiritual discussions? Do you have spiritual conversations? Or is your conversation dominated by earthly things? You know, when, when uh, hunting season comes around, it's very, very easy to, to talk about that nice big buck we saw. Or, oh, we killed so many, so many ducks. It was, yeah, the ducks are there by the thousands, and we should go there tomorrow morning. You know, it's easy to talk about these things. But what about the, 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 the spiritual discussion, the, the things of God? We just came out of a worship experience, and then we immediately switch our... our our mind and start talking about earthly things? Really? Is that the way it is? Or have we not even started worshiping? <clears throat> Fathers, moms, are you aware of what your children are doing after services? Or are you 
busy talking. Again, we love to, to visit. We love that. We love to see that. But it should not come at the expense of the children running wildly throughout the, 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 the church house, or even outside for that matter. Are you aware of where your children are, what they're doing? You know, sometimes they zip around so wildly that you're afraid to even move because you're gonna bump into somebody. Uh, you know, if, if our, if we're concerned about our children, then we shouldn't become so busy visiting that we can't keep track of them. If you're going to have children, then take care of them. I guess is my encouragement. <clears throat> Drawing our attention back to this worship scene in heaven, and again, I don't know how this is. Is it one continuous million-year worship? I, I don't know. Do they have times of of special worship do they have? I, I don't know. But I'm just kind of, because we're, we have our times of worship here, I would like to ask, do you think that after this worship scene in heaven, there were children just running wildly like wildcats around here? Do you think they were? No, I don't think so. There was, there was a worship experience that didn't quit after the worship was done. Now, I realize children love to play and visit. I know that. But as you parents, as you visit with other parents with children, the children can visit pretty quietly. I know that's possible because I think our children had to. <laughs> we tried to make them do that. It wasn't always possible. We didn't always get it done. But it's possible we train our children to do what we allow them to do. Is that clear enough? Sure it is. <clears throat> do you think in this heavenly scene that our conversation would center around anything but the Lord of glory in heaven? I don't think so. This morning, are you, do you tremble at the word of the Lord? Does the word of the Lord make a difference? And do we worship in the spirit of holiness? I think this morning we're just simply going to try this kneeling forward. Is that, uh, yeah, we're just going to try.